I do want to thank you for the opportunity to share your pulpit this morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be here. I'm so glad to be with you all and to worship the risen Savior together. This morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 12, our passage this morning will be Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And as you're making your way there, I did want to tell you a little bit about why this passage. On the one hand, it can be a little difficult to jump into a series, to jump into a book uh, right in the flow or thrust of things. Uh, but I um, wanted us to look at this morning, this start of the call of Abram, uh, namely for this point. Well-known theologian Dr. James Montgomery Boyce says this of the life of Abram. No one can understand the Old Testament without understanding Abram. For in many ways the history of redemption begins with God's call to him. And I just so happen to agree with about everything Dr. Boyce says. And if, he, if I think I'm wrong, it's probably because I'm wrong. But he says here, to understand the Old Testament, we need to know about and understand the life and the ministry of God's calling upon Abram's life. And it is hard for us as, as post-New Testament Christians, that is Christians after the New Testament was written, to take, we take for granted the work that God's been doing from the very beginning. His calling of a particular people, His declaring them His and drawing them to Himself through many trials, difficulties, hardships, and challenges. But over and over again, particularly in the Old Testament, we see this happen often in miraculous, often in unexplained, and often in ways that could only be done by the hand of God. And in the life of Abram, we see this clearly. We see the Lord call a people, not just Abram, but a people unto himself. So I thought it would be wise for us this morning to consider such a passage. Now, very briefly, we are jumping into chapter 12 of Genesis. Genesis can be broken down really neatly into three sections. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 uh, cover the history or the creation or foundation of the world. And as far as the generations of mankind, you really get a jump start into the world that we know. This section that we'll be in this morning starts uh, in chapter 12 and goes through 36. This is going to cover the life of Abram, later Abraham, as well as his descendants. Uh, these are the patriarchs. These are the forefathers. These are the people that God calls and gathers. These will be uh, the foundations of what will be the people of Israel. And then in 37 to 50, of course, you've got the story of Joseph and his story takes the people of God all the way to Egypt and prepares them uh, for what takes place there and later on in the Exodus. And so we're going to focus on this middle section this morning. Um, we do believe the book of Genesis is historical in its intent and in its purpose, which means it is to be taken as fact. And so this is not a mere story for story's sake, but this is a historical record of that which took place in this man's life and because we here are the people of God in our own family tree. And so would you please pay careful attention with me this morning as I read for us the Word of God. I want to begin in Genesis chapter 12, the first verse, and I will read through verse 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. If you will allow me, could we please bow and ask God's blessing upon this time. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this day. This word is yours. And not only is this word yours and it is true, it is for us this day. By your providence, you have ordained this passage for this people for this time. You know we need it because you know we need you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that seeing we might see, and hearing we might hear, and receiving your truth, we might plant it deeply and firmly in our heart, that we might live changed lives, lives as people who have been called by God and sent out to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon it and dedicate it to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the story of Abram, or Abraham as he will later be named, really is a story of faithfulness. Through his life and the, the life of his children, we're shown that God is sovereign. And over and over and over again, he's a God who keeps his promises. He does exactly what he says he will do. We also learn that God often calls a people a particular people from every background and, and variety of um, lifestyles, but he calls them out of who they were and then gives them new names and new identities and new purposes. God draws a people unto himself. And this is absolutely true for Abram. If you look back at, at Genesis eleven twenty seven, 27, um, where the story of Abram actually gets its start, you see he is fathered by a man named Terah. And Terah is interesting. Uh, Joshua, in his um, letter, in Joshua chapter 24, says this to the people of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Terah, Abraham's father, was an idol maker and worshiper. He was a pagan who practiced pagan practices. And so imagine this man of God, this man of faith, this great man that we'll talk about this morning, did not grow up in a house where that was believed, practiced, and taught. It would have been easy for him to have fallen into an insignificant life, a, a, a meaningless life, one of fake practice and false worship. 
and for his name never to be recorded for us. And yet, because God called him, because God chose him, because God set him apart, he is one of the most significant people in the Old Testament and is listed as one of the most faithful people in all of Scripture. And so as we consider this very call of God in Abram's life this morning, I want us to see three actions that God takes in his life. And remember, these are the same actions that God takes in the lives of people to this day. He is not reinventing the wheel. He has simply had his path and his plan from the beginning and has been executing it perfectly. This morning, and you can see it on the outline in your bulletin, I, I want you to see that God promises blessing for his people. God promises blessing for his people. I also want you to see this morning that God calls his people and sets them apart. He calls them to be set apart. And then finally, I want you to see this morning that God provides a home for his people. He doesn't just set them apart, but he gives them a home and a place to reside. And so as we consider the life of Abram, I want you to think about that as if he does so for you and me today because he still does. Let's begin looking at this by seeing how God promises blessing in the first three verses. And we start off this passage with the word of the Lord coming to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. One commentator states the importance and the significance of this calling of God, the degrees of separation to which Abraham endured was exhaustive and was complete. It's not just leave. He's told to go. And so he prepares to leave. But it's go from your country. It's leave your place of origin. Not just go from your country, but leave your kindred. Leave your relatives. Leave your family. And not just leave your kindred, but your very father's house. It is a complete separation. It's a complete turning from who he was to who God was preparing him to be. And he's told not just that, but to not just leave, but go and we'll tell you about that when we get there. He's very specifically told, leave this, leave this, leave this, and I'm going to take you somewhere and I'll let you know later where that is. And the fact that Abram does obey in just a moment, we'll talk about the fact and he went, it speaks to his faith, doesn't it? And, and something I want us to think about this morning, I, I really want this to challenge our own hearts would we be so faithful in the same situation? Are we faithful to God today in similar situations in our lives? Are we trusting God and his providence? Do we believe that he will get us where he's called us to be even when we don't know where it is? Can you say that about your lives, about your marriage? Can you say that about your college choices, your career choices and your child raising? I mean, let's be honest, or maybe it's just me. How, how many of us knowing a destination will still put it in the GPS because we don't trust ourselves? And then how often do we do the same to God? You're good, God. I know you're good. You have a plan, God. I know you have a plan. But let me just put some things in place just to make sure it all works out. To have the faith of Abram is a great faith. To trust in our God is a great leap, but we are told to trust in him. And it gets better for Abram, right? It's not just that he will leave, and it's not just that he will leave and go to a place that God's prepared for him, but he will be blessed because of it. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is saying, I will set you apart, I will declare you mine, and I will be so present in your life that generations from now will still be praising me because of you. I will be so present in your life and will we'll deal with you in such an extraordinary way that generations from now they will still be coming to me through this promise that I am making. And we who live on this side of the narrative know that this was true, that this did take place. But there were some challenges, weren't there? At this time, Abram is 75, and a, and a major theme in his life that comes up over the next several chapters, he and his wife are barren. So again, I ask you that question of faith. How much faith do we have in God? Could you trust a God who says, I'll make you a blessing to your descendants and those after you, when for how long we don't know you've been trying to have children but couldn't? Could you go to a place not knowing the destination, trusting God knew where it was and told you, I'll let you know when you get there? Abram displays that before us. But we do know they eventually have children. And we ultimately know, if you go even further in the Bible, that Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of this promise through your descendants. Go to the genealogies. Go to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1. Trace it all the way down. You will find in there Abraham in that bloodline, in that list. Through you will all the nations be blessed because through you will come your Savior. I really hope uh, you were here last week or have listened online uh, to Dr. Scholl's sermon on First Peter 3. What a beautiful, beautiful message last Sunday on the power of the resurrection and on the ability of Christ to give us hope and strength during trials and uncertainty. Because that's promise fulfilled. Abram had to look forward to that. And we in the New Testament and post-New Testament Christians go, and we have it. It has been delivered. It is for us and for us today. And because of it, we have strength and the ability to endure. But it will require us being separated from the world. And we see that in our second section here. And when God calls us unto himself, he is saying that, that is a removal of being of this world. And three of the most powerful words in the life of Abram, you can look at his life over the next um, uh, several, several chapters, but it really starts right here. God promises him, God sets him apart, God calls him to himself, and we read these words, so Abram went. He left. He went willingly and obediently. He didn't know what was ahead. He didn't know what was in store, but he trusted his God and that's what God requires of all of us. To be a follower of Christ, you have to put God above everything else. You have to say, Christ, you are my all. And in you and through you, I will place my faith in whatever may come. You are my hope. Now, I've got the joy right now. I'm doing a, a series of, or I just wrapped up a series of premarital counseling. And if God wills it, I get to do a wedding at the end of this month for two former uh, students. And the, the book we use for premarital counseling, I love the way it does it because it introduces topics that are common in premarital counseling, finances, anger management, communication, um, uh, church attendance, and things like that. But it does it in an interesting way because each chapter has a title, finances. 
And then each title has a tagline with Jesus at the center. And that's how it has to be. That how we know, those of, you, those of you that are married know that marriage works when that is the truth and marriage doesn't when it's not. When it's Christ is at the center of our finances, Christ is at the center of our relationship, Christ is at the center of our problem solving, of our child raising, then things work. But if we try to sneak that world back in, that worldliness, if we try to bring those things in, if, if, if Abram had a U-Haul behind him and tried to take the things of this world with him, he would have seen opposition and failure and difficulty and challenges. In fact, if you keep reading through the life of Abram, he is going to run into trouble because he is prone to some worldly ways in a few key areas. But to follow God fully is to be set apart from this world. And here's the beauty of it. We don't even have to wait to ask God, are you going to fulfill this promise? Are you going to bless him because he chose to follow you and leave this world, leave those behind of this world? The answer is yes. Because we know from the text, Abram not only went, but so did his wife. Not only Abram and his wife, but his nephew, Lot. And not only them, but many others, many that they had gathered while in Haran. One commentator supposes that Abram's been preaching the gospel, as he understood it, to his family, to his workers, to his neighbors, and to his friends. And some of them, so convicted by this word, when he goes, they go. And there it is. We already are seeing fulfillment of what God said. You go to the place I will tell you and I will bless you. And as he leaves, a trail of people come right behind him. You know, we must, we, we must value God above everything else. And by doing so, here's the beauty of it. God doesn't ignore that. In fact, he honors it. We will be able to better love our family our neighbors, and even our enemies. And by living out our faith boldly and willingly, we become testimonies to God's goodness and mercy that others cannot ignore. When we put God above everything else, everyone sees that. And in a world that is so devoid of godliness, in a world that is so devoid of selflessness, when we act selfless as the church, people go, why are you doing that? And there's our opportunity because of Jesus Christ. They will be compelled to know why. And we must be compelled to speak the truth to that why. And that's what Abram does. He brings a family around. It does come at a cost. Abram leaves his household. He leaves his father's house. Sarai, whose name would originally mean princess, will become mother of nations. And yet here she is again for the next 25 years, barren, unable to produce a child. We've got Lot, and oh, much could be said about Lot. He's the center of attention for several chapters for his poor decision-making. And yet, if you flip to 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter himself says, what a righteous man for speaking the truth in such a pagan city, for boldly proclaiming that which is right to those that oppressed him and sought evil and wicked practice. And I'll tell you, I, I've wrestled with that passage, and I really hope Dr. Scholl gets to it. I'd love to hear him give the answers to it. But I love that passage, because how on earth can you call Lot righteous? How on earth is he called a righteous man? How on earth can you 
call Abram righteous when he's going to do what he's going to do, which is namely sell his wife off as a sister, not once but twice. He's going to doubt God. He's going to worry. He's going to have fear. Sarah is going to laugh in God's face at the sound of the promise. How can they be called righteous? Well, here is the answer. It has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with their God. They are called righteous by God. It's not because of who they are, it's because of who he is. It's not because of what they did, it's because of what he's done. They trusted him by faith and followed him fully and he redeemed them and changed them and transformed their lives and because of their lives, our lives too. And he doesn't leave them without a blessing in that too because it is tough. It is tough to be called away from your home and go to a place that you don't know and, and go to a foreign people and, and just have promises made that you're not sure how they're going to be fulfilled. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we see here at the conclusion of our passage that God begins even still in fulfilling that promise to give them a land and to a people. Moses records for us Abram's marching into that land the place of Canaan will be part of the promised land. But there's a little bit of a snag. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Uh-oh, first obstacle. God said, I'll give you a place. You'll have a home. You'll have a possession. Your descendants will be blessed. But someone else is using it right now. You can't have it yet. And oh, do I know I'm with, um, with three little ones. When one child has it, the other one wants it. And when the other one wants it, they have to have it, and they have to have it now. And that can cause conflict, can it? But God says, this will be yours, and the conversation is done. Is it that Abraham is just, he doesn't want it anymore? Is it that Abraham doubts? No, it's actually quite the opposite. The Lord said it, so Abraham's done. He said it, he'll provide it, it's over. Because the Lord keeps his promises. What the Lord says, he will do. He says it very clearly. To your offspring, I will give this land. So what's it to God that the Canaanites are in possession? To see the fulfillment of that, flip to the book of Joshua. God prepares the next man after the death of Moses to go and to take over that land. And they do, and they inherit it. And so what is Abram, Abraham or Abram left to do but to worship God? Out of all of this, the conclusion of this narrative, he, he walks from place to place and it says he sets up altars and he worships his Lord because he is convinced if God promises it, it is so. Oh, as believers today, would we have the faith of Abram? Would we trust in our God as he trusted in his God? Because here's the truth of it. God promised Abram a name. God promised Abram a legacy. God promised Abram a possession. God promised Abram a home. The Lord promises the same to you today. He promised you a name. That is the name of Christ. He promises you a home, that home is eternity. He promises you a possession, a royalty, a kingdom, a family. 
And not one that will be here today and gone tomorrow. Not one that will be a temporary possession, but one that will be a possession for all eternity. If we but trust in him by faith. And here's the best part. Just like with Abram, we don't have to wait till we get there to enjoy it. We can have it now. If you are here today and you are in Christ, you are already a part of that kingdom. You already have that name. You already have that possession. It is yours. It cannot be taken from you. And you live knowing that. And let me just ask this as we close. How does that change how you live? What does that do to your evangelism? What does that do when things don't go your way? When a bad business situation comes? When something doesn't work out? When a tree falls on the roof of your house, you can say with confidence, this is awful inconvenient. You don't even have to like it. That's fine. It's okay to be frustrated. But what you ultimately say is, this is temporary. What is it? 80, 100 years at best? I'm going to be with my Savior. I'm going to be in a place that does not tarnish, that does not perish, that does not fade, that does not wither. And I would encourage you this evening as you look at this call of Abram really to see its conclusion. Go to the book of Revelation. Uh, go to 19, 20, and 21. I, I, I just have to add this at the, as we end. Look at what God uses in heaven as asphalt. Go, go and read it. What, what, does he, what does he use as concrete in heaven? Gold. One of the most valued possessions in the world today. What does he, what does he use in his masonry work. What are the walls of heaven lined with? Jewels that we don't even know what they are. We, we can't even understand some of them so great. The, the treasures of this earth are building materials in heaven. And so if we're going to hope in something, should we place our hope and our trust in things here and things now? Should we rest in that which we can gather with ourselves, that which we die will go back to the ground? Or should we place our hope in a God and in a people and in a place that's so sure and so rich and so beautiful, it lasts forever. It doesn't fade. We've got guaranteed family. We've got a royal possession. And all that we chase on this earth, God uses it to build with. That is our hope. And that's how we today answer that call of God that Abram answered all those years ago. And so I challenge you this week as you look through these passages and take advantage of this family worship help this week. Go through here. And ask yourself, am I answering the call of God? And if the answer is yes, am I trusting in him fully? And if the answer is no, can I come to him today? Can I know him today? Can I rest and have that today? And the answer to that is absolutely. When we trust in him by faith, this possession, just like it was for Abram, is for us. If we but hold fast, cling to him, and go when he tells us to go. Let us pray. Almighty God, what a joyful message we have this morning. Lord, it is a joy and a privilege to proclaim the truth of your word. But I take no credit for this, Lord, because it's your word and these are your people and these are your truths and I am but your messenger. Lord, we need this message today. We are so prone to trusting in ourselves, trusting in our possessions, trusting in our own ability to perform and produce. But what we really need is you. The only thing we can have that will not fade, but that will last is you. 
And I know that everyone here needs that more than they need the breath that you're giving them now, more than the heartbeat that you continue to provide for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning, my prayer this week is that we would submit to the call of God. And as Abram went, we would go. As Abram trusted, we would trust. As Abram said, my God will answer what he has said he will do. May we answer, my God will answer and do that which he said we will do, he will do. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We ask your blessing upon this time once again. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.